crept in under the hedge and started helping herself to the bread and cheese and the bits of cake. Anything she didn't like, she just tossed aside in the grass. Mm, sure, I'll be glad to, she said. And off she went. Mm. We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. Talking about tall tales and fairy tales and folk tales and personal and family tales. Stories that will make you want to open your mouth and share some of the stories that you know with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. It's going to be a great hour. I'm Sam Payne, your host, and I'm going to bring you stories from Liz Weir. We're going to bring you a story called Wee Meg Barneleg you're going to love. And we'll bring you a story about Grandma's Cookies from Kay Burns. We'll have a conversation with Bill Harley, the wonderful storyteller and songwriter who lives in Massachusetts. He's going to tell us about a favorite song, a favorite old tune called Build Me Up Buttercup. Maybe you know the song. And uh, in order to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Trent Horton. Trent, it's great to have you with me. It's good to be here. And we're going to hear Doug Elliott's story. I love Doug Elliott. Yeah, I do too. Tell us a little bit about this tale. Uh, So it's called Mosquito Story. And uh, I grew up in a place that was like a little bit of a marshy area near near our house. And so there was mosquitoes always. Like as soon as it got (laughs) cool at night, right when you wanted to be outside in the summertime, you'd go out and you'd be bitten 33 times by the time you'd shut the door. so I, I kind of grew up hating mosquitoes, which I don't think I'm alone in that. There might be one person who loves them. Yeah, maybe. Doug Elliott. Maybe some entomologist yeah. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> might be Doug Elliott. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the story, he actually does make a case for for loving mosquitoes. Yeah. But he's also he also tells a, an origin story um, about – kind of answers a couple how and why questions – about why mosquito buzzes and why mosquito sucks blood. Yeah, sucks blood. you know, in, in fact, sometimes when you when you hear a radio broadcast or something like that, the announcer will say something like, "We just want to warn you, there are oh, I don't know, gunshots in this story or something." Mm-hmm. So you know, take care as you listen. Uh, I feel like saying that about this story because this story begins with the sound of the buzzing of a mosquito. Yeah, the little high pitched. It's, it's a it's a little bit traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Doug Elliott is a naturalist and storyteller, also a heck of a harmonica player, and his stories about animals and plants are really, uh, in some cases, a lot more thrilling than you knew those animals and plants could be. True. And uh, this is one of those stories, the mosquito story told for you by Doug Elliott here on The Appleseed. Mosquitoes. One time I was in the woods with a friend of mine who was an Indian, and the mosquitoes were really thick. They were flying all around. They were biting me here. They were biting me there. They were biting me everywhere. They were bugging me bad. And I said, don't you hate those mosquitoes? And he looked over at me and said, mosquitoes? I don't hate mosquitoes. I mean, sure, they bother me sometimes too, but I don't hate them. You know, mosquitoes feed the people. Feed the people, I said. Not me. I don't eat mosquitoes. Uh-uh. No way, man. <laughs> you might think you don't eat mosquitoes, he said. But let me tell you, when mosquitoes are young, they live in the water. 
and little tiny minnows eat them. And then bigger fish eat those little minnows. And then even bigger fish eat those fish. And those bigger fish are what the people eat. Yeah, when you sit down to a nice fish dinner, what you're really eating is a whole lot of mosquitoes. And you know, birds eat mosquitoes, and frogs eat mosquitoes, and I like birds and frogs, don't you? And my friend said, I'm going to tell you a story. And this is the story he told. Once upon a time, a long, long, long time ago, when the world was new, Earthmaker was still hard at work. He had made the land and the mountains and the trees and the flowers and the rivers. And before long, he'd made almost all the animals. The deer, the bear, the raccoons, the people, the squirrels, the birds and the foxes and all the other critters. And the last animal that Earthmaker created was Snake. Now, when he made Snake, he didn't make a little crawly thing. In those days, Snake was a great big creature that walked upright. Maybe he was sort of like a dinosaur. When Snake came out into the world, he looked around and said, Ah, well, Earthmaker, it's a pretty good-looking world you've made here. But what do you got for me to eat? <sighs> Earthmaker said, Well, Snake, don't you worry. We'll figure out something for you to eat. But I'm pretty tired right now. Now, why don't you just come back tomorrow and we'll figure it out? Snake said, Ah, I'm hungry now, Earthmaker. Ah, I can't wait till tomorrow. Earthmaker said, I'm really tired, Snake. This creative work I've been doing is exhausting. I can hardly think straight. Now, I don't know what to plan for you to eat. You just come back later. Snake said, Ah, Earthmaker, i got to have something to eat now. Ah, I'm hungry. Right then, two people came walking by, and Snake said, ah, How about them, Earthmaker? Can I eat them? Earthmaker said, Oh, all right. Go ahead and eat them for now, Snake, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. I've just got to get some rest. So sure enough, Snake went over and... <laughs> Swallowed one of them. Swallowed them both. And then he said, Yum, those people are delicious. And the next thing you know, he was traveling over the countryside. He was eating one person after another. He was eating men and women and kids and grandmothers and grandfathers and even teenagers and whole families he was eating. And he was devouring whole villages. Now in those days, there weren't many people. And they were being wiped out. They were being gobbled up by snake. And so the people went to Earthmaker and said, Earthmaker, you got to put a stop to this. Why'd you tell Snake you could eat people? There's hardly any of us left, and we're becoming an endangered species. Earthmaker said, Oh, shucks. I knew I shouldn't let him get started eating people. I was just so tired I couldn't think straight. I'll try to figure out something, something else for Snake to eat. So he called Snake in to talk about it. Now, Snake, I've been getting a lot of complaints from the people. It seems like you're about to eat them all up. Now, I didn't put those people on earth just for snake food. Now, we've got to find something else for you to eat. Now, how about the birds or the coons or the beavers or some other animals like that? Snake said, ah, yuck. No, thanks. I think I'll stick to people, Earthmaker. No, that will not do, Snake. There's hardly any people left, and we've got to find something else for you to eat. Now, tell me, what is it about those people that taste so good? Ah, I like the taste of their blood. Ah, they just have the best-tasting blood. Well, all right, Snake, but we're going to have to find something else for you to eat. So Earthmaker called in Mosquito. Mosquito! Mosquito! She flew in and said, mm, What can I do for you, Earthmaker? Well, Snake is about to eat up all the people. He says he likes the taste of their blood. So I'd like to put this little sharp beak on you, and I'd like you to go out and taste all the animals' blood and see if you can find any animals with blood that tastes as good as the people. Mm, okay, said Mosquito. I'll be glad to help you any way I can. 
So Earthmaker fixed that little sharp beak on her, and she flew off on her mission. When she passed by Snake, you said, Ah, hey, Mosquito, what Earthmaker tell you to do? Mm, he told me to go taste all the animal's blood, and if I found any that tasted as good as people, they're going to be your food. Ah, oh, he did, did he? Well, since it's going to be my food, I want you to come back and report to me first, okay? Ah. Mm, sure, I'll be glad to, she said, and off she went. She went and tasted all the animals. She tried the bears and the birds and the raccoons and the possums and the deer and the foxes and the coyotes and the lizards and the frogs and the mice and the squirrels and all the animals she could find. And you know, she found not only one, but two animals whose blood tasted just as good as a human. And you know what those animals were? They were the mice and the frogs. So she headed back to Earthmaker with the news. But just like she promised, she went to Snake first and she told him, Snake, I found two animals that taste just as good as people, and they will be your food from now on. <sighs> oh, yeah? What are they? She said, mm, mice and frogs. I don't think I heard you right. <sighs> what did you say? Mm, mice and frogs, I said. Yucca, I don't think I heard you right. <sighs> Mosquito, come say that right in my ear. So Mosquito flew right up to his ear and repeated as clearly as she could, mm, mice and frogs. With that, Snake grabbed her and yanked her tongue out. So she couldn't even talk after that. All she could do was go, Nee! So she flew back to Earthmaker, and she tried to tell him what happened. She said, Nee! He said, Mosquito, talk to me like you usually do. Nee! Mosquito, what is all this buzzing about? Let me look at you, Mosquito. Mosquito? Somebody pulled your tongue out, didn't they? <laughs> Who did it, Mosquito? <laughs> Who? <laughs> Mosquito, I can't understand a word you're saying, but we'll just have to figure it out. So Earthmaker called a great council where all the animals had to attend, and they all came. There were the bears and the beavers and the birds and the possums and the coons and the foxes and the wolves and the mice and the squirrels and the chipmunks. There was quite a crowd. So Earthmaker whispered to Mosquito, Okay, Mosquito. I think they're all here. Now you go fly out over the crowd, and when you see the one who pulled your tongue out, you fly in a little circle over their head, and we'll know who did it. So a Mosquito flew out over the crowd, and after a while, she came back shaking her little head, and Earthmaker said, What's the matter, Mosquito? Can't you find the one who did it? She said, Me, me, He's not there? Yee. Well, let's see. Who's missing? All right, let's see, there's the bears and the birds and the foxes and the wolves and the weasels and the deer and the rabbits and the turtles and the frogs and the lizards and the snakes, snake, snake, snakes missing. Let's see. All right, all right, snake, I know you're out there hiding in those bushes somewhere. I know you're out there hiding, snake. You should be ashamed of yourself. How dare you not show up for the great council? You better come out, snake. We've had enough of your foolishness. And sure enough, Snake was hiding out in those bushes. And when he finally came out, he was ashamed. And you know, he was so ashamed that he came crawling in on his belly. And you know, snakes have been crawling on their bellies ever since. So Earthmaker said, The reason I've called this great council meeting is to announce a new food for Snake. Snake has been eating all the people, and Mosquito here has been doing some research for us. And she has found two other animals that will be Snake's primary food from now on. So go show us, Mosquito. So Mosquito flew out over the crowd, and she flew in a little circle over the mice, and a little circle over the frogs, and Earthmaker proclaimed, 
Okay, so from now on, the mice and the frogs will be the primary food for Snake. Snake will no longer eat people. And with that, all the people went, Hooray! 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 And all the other animals said, Hooray! And the mice and the frogs, well, they weren't too happy about it. But Earthmaker saw to it that the mice would have lots of babies, and the frogs would have lots of tadpoles, so there'd always be lots of mice and frogs. And the people said, Hooray for Mosquito! She saved our lives! Hooray! Hooray! But Mosquito, instead of enjoying all this applause, she flew up and sat on a tree branch, and she started to cry. Earthmaker said, Mosquito, why are you crying? You're the hero for the day. Everyone's cheering for you. She pointed to her mouth. (laughs) Earthmaker said, oh yeah, that's right. Snake pulled your tongue out, so you can't eat now. If you can't eat, you'll die. (laughs) And all the people gathered around and said, Earthmaker, can't you do something to help her? Please, Earthmaker, she saved our lives. You gotta help her, Earthmaker. Oh, I don't know what to do. Oh, come on, Earthmaker. You're the creator, aren't you? Be creative. Well, all right, now let me see here. So Earthmaker fixed that little pointy beak onto her mouth so that it was permanent. And all the people said, Mosquito, you saved our lives. We're really thankful for you. We want you to be able to eat. So we'll let you come and get a little sip of our blood from now on. And all the other animals said, Yeah, we'll give her a little sip of our blood too. And so to this day, those little mosquitoes, they come around. They're still coming around. And all they want is a little sip of our blood. And sometimes they're a nuisance. And sometimes they bug us bad. But like my Indian friend said, You know, we have a lot to thank the mosquito for. She feeds the birds. She feeds the frogs. And she still feeds us. And a long time ago, it was mosquito who saved our lives. There was a little skeeter, and she wasn't any bigger than the wee small head of a pin. But the bump that she raises, well, it itches like the blazes, and that's where the rub comes in. A little perspective on the lowly mosquito, right? Yep. Bet you didn't know that mosquito actually saved your life. No, no, I did not know that. And 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 knowing it. Uh, frankly, doesn't take the trauma out of hearing that little buzz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially when they sneak into your bedroom at night and oh. you can't see where they are. Yeah. <clears throat> There's nothing worse. That's uh, – yeah, I didn't know you were going to tell ghost stories when you – I mean that that's uh, – yeah, that's heavy duty. When you, when there is a mosquito when, – when you know there is a mosquito in the room but you can't find mm-hmm. it and you They disappear. Just, yeah. Really good at it. Yep, that's tough. Doug Elliott is always a pleasure. Uh, it's always a pleasure to hear a Doug Elliott story here on the Appleseed, and that's a great one, a mosquito story. And again, perspective on the lowly mosquito. Even those little guys have a reason for being, and uh, that's probably important for us to remember about all creatures, isn't it? Trent Horton, thanks for joining me here on the Appleseed. Yeah. And there's a lot more coming up. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago we heard a story from Doug Elliott, the naturalist, herbalist, backcountry guide, storyteller, and a master of the harmonica, by the way. Got to say that about Doug Elliott. 
And it was a pleasure to hear him tell a story about the lowly mosquito. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear from Liz Weir, a story called We Meg Barnaleg. You'll hear from Kay Burns, a story about Grandma's Cookies, and a conversation with Bill Harley about a favorite old song, Build Me Up Buttercup. You won't want to miss a single word, but first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be a door to sharing stories yourself around the kitchen table or the living room, here's a memory of mine. Some thoughts about dancing. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed. People don't dance like they used to. Well, I dance like I used to providing comic relief on the dance floor since I was a kid in the 70s. But people who know how to dance don't dance like they used to. I tried to learn to square dance as a teenager and got kicked out of the dance by the caller, a sweet old guy who mistook my ineptitude for goofing off. These days, the dance floor might be littered with the same kind of ineptitude, or at least a lot of goofing off, But once upon a time, dance was a good metaphor for life. Not so much anymore. It's difficult to find any grand sweeping meaning on the recreational dance floors of today. But think of this. There was once a time when people would dance dances. Dances that involved learning where to put your feet and where to put your hands. Dances that involved interacting harmoniously, respectfully, even skillfully with a partner. A dancer could not only look immediately left or right to find his or her present partner, but around the circle or across the square to find the partner of the next few moments as well. The dance floor was like a person's life, different experiences waiting across the square or around the circle. Some of them met with grace, others met more clumsily. It's as if the lives we live are a great dance circle. And standing in the circle are all the people that we know and many that we don't. We face outward toward an even larger circle made up of our partners. Not people, but experiences that embrace us in the dance for a lingering moment before the music changes and the circles turn and we find ourselves opposite new partners, new experiences. Look down the arc of the circle and you may see the partners of your fellows. Away down the circle, there's a person dancing with the challenges of a new job. And next to him, maybe, is someone dancing with leaving home for the first time. Look the other way, and off down the circle, there's a woman dancing with being the parent of a teenage girl on the eve of her first date. And near her is a guy dancing with being a brand new father. There are more difficult partners as well. Somewhere in the circle, someone is awkwardly, painfully learning to dance with loneliness or with poverty or with cancer. And like in any dance, some partners don't suit us, while we take to others with grace and courage. The only thing that can be known for sure is that the music changes, and the circles move like bits of colored glass in the window of a kaleidoscope, and the partner that you watched your neighbor dancing with may at any moment, for some duration of time, become your partner. And whatever you find yourself dancing with now whether a delightful experience or a difficult one, may at any moment sashay away from you and join hands with one of your fellows. Some of us enjoy the dance more than others. Some of us dance with solemn precision. 
others with joyful abandon, partners that frustrated us delight others, and we find joy and purpose in dancing with experiences that others couldn't wait to be rid of. Some of us mourn the handing off of partners that we're a delight to dance with. Others look always and with anticipation to whatever the next call will be. And most of us know what it means to grow steadily with a partner from awkwardness to confidence before the music changes. The dance, after all, is good and long. And we all get to dance with more partners, more experiences of all kinds than we ever imagined we would when we first stepped onto the floor. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. Some thoughts about dancing and thoughts that came from thoughts about dancing. It's always fun to share those memories with you. And, of course, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories for you that you can share as stories. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear a story called Grandma's Cookies by Kay Burns. But first... How about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. Through the films that we see, the books that we treasure, the folks that we meet, the meals that we share, the songs that we remember, and of course, the things that happen to us. Told as stories from teller to listener, passed down sometimes over generations and generations. And talking about the way in which some of those stories get down into our lives is something that we love to do with friends here on the Appleseed. I'm thrilled to be joined by uh, Bill Harley from his home in Massachusetts. Bill, it's such a thrill to be with you. It's great to be here, Sam. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I I say this on the show often enough that people are probably tired of it, but I think songs are like zip files. You know, you you th- those files on your computer that are really a lot bigger than they than they look like they are. You touch a zip file and it opens up into a thing a lot larger than the, than the file itself. And I feel that way about songs. You touch an important song, a song that has been important to you and it unfolds into a memory that's much bigger than the song ever was. Uh you've got songs like that in your life for sure. Yes, I do. Uh, yes, I do. And uh, there's one particular I'm thinking of. And I, um, people who have been to storytelling festivals that I've been at may have heard me tell the story about this one song. And it was a song um, I heard when I was in ninth grade. Um, I was in uh, junior high school in Indianapolis. And we had a my my brother had a uh, big radio, and I shared a room with him, and he was listening to classical music, but I would steal it and listen to the pop stations. And, <laughs> um, and I discovered this station uh, in Windsor, Ontario, CKLW, and it was really right across the street, the, the river, Detroit River from Detroit, and it was the Motown station. So the Mo- that was where the Motown songs, Barry Gordy songs and uh, all those others got played first. Yeah. And so that was where, although they were played on other AM stations, that was really where I discovered Motown. And it was a, you know, Motown was a very incredible thing because it really was, I think Barry Gordy said, we're going to reach white folks with, <laughs> with black music and I'm going to make some adjustments. But, yeah. and he certainly did. So I would listen and this song came on um, 
and I immediately loved it. And you know, the the music that you hear when you're you know thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, you, you're going to listen to it for the rest of your life. And so the song um, was "Build Me Up Buttercup," which most people know. It's been on one commercial after another, and yeah. and I just fell in love with this song. And I I've talked in other places about the stereo, the, the my the hi-fi thing i wasn't allowed to put rock and roll records on that on that on the stereo because my father was convinced it would destroy the needle yeah. um so i only place i could hear it was the radio and i would go home and i would, I would talk at it and you know junior high school for me it was kind of like i went to i say that like the, the lord of the flies junior high school there it was just undifferentiated mass of of children that act like piranha when they sensed exposed flesh and <laughs> and uh you had to guard yourself and i just remember um sitting at this lunchroom table and saying um people saying what song do you like and it was like the 1910 fruit gum company had a song out and neil diamond had brother love salvation you know <laughs> song and i think the beatles had, uh the beatles had just come out with a uh, let it be i was let it be was a hit for like a year and a half and so all these white boys sit at the table and they said bill what do you like i said you know what i like i like Build me a buttercup. And it was, you would have thought it was, it was one of those, like if I was going to shoot a movie, the entire, the entire cafeteria just went dead silent. And they said, you like that? And of course, you're so fragile. And I was, I wouldn't even stand up for myself. And I was like, well, maybe not. Yeah. Um, But still I did. And so then, like most teenagers, I listened to the music in my room. Like Brian Wilson said in my room. Um, And then we moved and uh, I became friends with, um, there was a bunch of boys in my neighborhood who kind of saved my life. It was a town in Connecticut. I didn't know anybody. I moved since I was 16, but they took me in. And one of the boys, Richie, he had older sisters who loved Motown. And we... (laughs) He would take us up into his attic base, his attic bedroom, and we would have been sweaty from playing basketball. We would take off our shirts and we would become, in a horrible way, the Four Tops and the Temps, and, and we would become the Pips, and one of us would be Gladys Knight up there. This, it was this great secret. Yeah. And um, one day they said, what do you want to listen to? I said, and I hadn't said this for a year and a half. He's like, you know what song I really like? Build Me Up Buttercup. And Rich is like, I love that song. I've got it. I've got it. And we put it on and we spent like an hour, um, you know, working out the, why yeah. do you build me up? And sure, the hand yeah. motions on it. It was really horrible. Um, but, you know, from that, I one of the things, and I do this in performance. I teach the audience the backup part. Because they sing out a tune in the backup part, but it's really about feeling. And this song is yeah. unrequited love, but it's really the blues, which is it makes me feel better to sing about feeling bad. Yeah, you know. Right. Uh, and so that from I, I one of that's one of the places I learned that music is mostly truly about emotion. It's about feeling. Yeah. And they said and it's one thing. Yip Harburg, who was a lyricist for. Only a paper moon, and he sure. wrote somewhere, somewhere over the, over rain. the rain. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he wrote all, and he said, yeah. um, 
words express a thought and music expresses a feeling. So a song feels a thought. Mm. And I feel like when I, and it comes on all the time. And every time it comes on, somebody hears it, they send me a text saying, Bill, is Bill me a buttercup? So that's kind of become a touchstone. For sure. That. Yeah. Oh, man, you know, as you listen to Bill talk, it might be that you are thinking about that song that made you feel better about feeling bad. <laughs> it may be that you, that you remember some of the challenges of, of junior high or high school, and it may be that you remember that group of friends that saved your life. Uh, in any case, what a pleasure to chat with Bill Harley. Bill, thank you so much. My pleasure, Sam. Always great to talk to you. Great stories come into our lives in so many ways. A pleasure to chat with Bill Harley. We'll be sure to have him back. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear a story up next from Kay Burns, a story called Grandma's Cookies. You won't want to miss it. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on this episode of The Appleseed. So enjoyed a moment ago a conversation with Bill Harley about a favorite old song, Build Me Up Buttercup. Maybe you know the song. And uh, there's a lot more coming up. Up next, we've got a story called Grandma's Cookies. This is a story by Kay Burns. And it's a heartwarming tale about a family situation, grandma and grandson, a relationship that can be so joyful, right? That relationship is at the center of the story. And it all started with making cookies. Now, tragically, the grandmother suffers a stroke, begins to struggle to do the things she normally could do. Grandson, however, is not distraught, manages to hope for the best. Hope can be contagious. And this story is a perfect example. Here's Grandma's Cookies by Kay Burns on the Appleseed. For ten years after my mother retired... She would escape those wicked Wisconsin winters by getting on a plane in Milwaukee and flying right down to Jacksonville, Florida, where I lived with my husband. She came every year right after the New Year's holiday, and that annual sojourn to the South became something of a family tradition. My eight brothers and sisters quit asking if Mother was coming to Florida this year because we all knew she would. But that tradition changed, as all traditions do with time. Because in the winter of 1994, my mother got the grandchild that she never expected. That was the winter that my son, Dylan, came into this world. Now all eight of my brothers and sisters were married with children, and I alone had been childless by choice. So when Dylan came into this world, Grandma Florence was on a plane in Milwaukee in no time at all, heading to Florida. She first met Dylan in the hospital, and I knew right away that they were going to have a very special relationship. You might have thought that Dylan was her first grandchild and not her 23rd. When my husband brought us home, Grandma Florence was waiting. 
I don't know what I would have done without my mother's help. It was my mother who showed me how to bathe that tiny creature in my kitchen sink. It was my mother who said, Go take a nap, honey. I'll sit with Dylan. It was my mother who sat beside me on the sofa and encouraged us as we tried to master nursing. She stayed for over a month, and when it was time to leave, it was bittersweet. I knew I had to fly solo sometime, but I knew that Grandma Florence would be back. And she was. Grandma Florence began to come down more and more often, and she always stayed a little bit longer. Now, I think that it was the winter right before Dylan's third birthday when Grandma Florence came to visit with an idea. She had decided that it was time for Dylan to learn about making cookies. She invited Dylan into my kitchen, and Grandma opened up a drawer and took out two aprons. One she tied around her waist, and the other was one of those old-fashioned vest aprons. She slipped it over Dylan's shoulders and snapped it down the front. She went into the pantry for the flour and the sugar, into the refrigerator for the butter and the eggs. She pulled out the mixer and the bowls and the measuring cups. Now, Dylan, honey, Grandma needs your help, so push your stool up here to the counter. My mother's always known that children learn best by doing. So Dylan pushed his little stool up to the counter, and with those big brown eyes open wide, he watched everything that Grandma did. Grandma picked up a stick of butter and peeled away the foil just a bit. Now, Dylan, honey, you always start with the butter. Put it in the bowl. So Dylan took the stick of butter and peeled away the wrapper, dropped it in the bowl, while Grandma measured out a cup of sugar. The sugar always goes with the butter. And Dylan took that cup of sugar and shook as he'd spilled it into the bowl. One by one, Grandma Florence handed Dylan each and every ingredient. And when the dough was done, Grandma reached behind her and whispered to Dylan, Grandma's going to give you her secret for really good cookies. Before you put them on the cookie sheet and into the oven, Dylan, you always give them a stir with a wooden spoon. And Dylan took that wooden spoon from his grandma like it was a magic wand. He stuck it in that dough and began to stir as grandma reached into the drawer and took out two sets of teaspoons. One pair she gave to Dylan. Now, honey, you watch grandma and just do what I do. Scoop and dip, scoop and dip. Come on, honey, give it a try. So Dylan did the best he could. Scoop and dip. Scoop and dip. Now, some of Dylan's cookies were huge. And some of Dylan's cookies were the size of grapes. 
and Dylan couldn't make a straight line on that cookie sheet, but Grandma didn't care. Dylan, you are doing a fine job, honey. Now, you fill up your cookie sheet, and I'll fill up mine. We'll bake our cookies together. They did, and when those cookies came out of my oven and cooled, they were the best cookies I had ever tasted. Well, making cookies with Grandma, that became a whole new tradition. Every time Grandma Florence was expected, Dylan would run through those recipes in his head. Mommy, do we have sugar, flour, butter, brown sugar, eggs? Grandma's coming. We're going to make cookies. And when Grandma came to visit, my cookie jar was never empty. But that tradition changed. It was the summer before Dylan's sixth birthday. My sister had organized a large family reunion at her house. It had been years since we were all together, and we were all excited to gather there in my hometown. I loaded up my minivan, and Dylan and I drove from Florida to Wisconsin. We had a grand time that weekend. My mother was in her glory. And when the reunion was over, most of us just began to drift back home. But I had come the furthest, and so Dylan and I were going to extend our visit. We were going to spend an extra week at my sister's place. That week flew by. The night before we were to depart for Florida, I loaded up the van and put Dylan to bed down in my sister's basement. My sister and I settled onto the sofa for just one more late-night chat. When the phone rang, and I knew as soon as she answered it, something was wrong. It was my brother on the other side of town. I think that Mom's had a, a stroke. The ambulance is on its way. I'm at her house. You need to meet me at the emergency room. The kind of call that just pulls the air right out of your lungs. And I couldn't just walk out the door. I had a little boy sleeping in the basement. I wondered what could I do. And I remembered that my husband has an Aunt Rita that lives about ten minutes from my sister. So at ten o'clock at night, I called her up. She said, I'll be right there. And in less than ten minutes, Rita was standing at my sister's door, still in her pajamas and her slippers. Go! Go! My sister and I raced to the hospital. My mom was lying on a gurney, and you could see the fear in her eyes. I'm sure that she could see the fear in ours as well. It was a long night, when they finally got my mom settled into a room, they said, go home and get some sleep. The next morning, I was faced with the daunting task of explaining to this little boy why we were not heading home to Florida. I pulled him onto my lap and I said, honey, we're not going home today because last night, Grandma Florence got sick and she's in the hospital. 
So we're going to stay just a few more days and just to make sure that everything's okay. Oh, Mommy, I'm sorry that Grandma's sick. Can I go see her? Well, not right now, Dylan. She needs some time with the doctors. We'll see. And a few days later, I asked my sister if she thought that it would be all right to take Dylan for a visit. It might cheer Mom up, she said. So I loaded him in the car and we headed for the hospital. On the way, I tried to prepare him. I said, honey, you know, Grandma is not going to be like she was at our big family party. She can't talk very well. And so you might not be able to understand what she's saying. And her muscles aren't working right. So she probably won't be able to hug you very tight. But you know, on the inside, she's still Grandma. And she loves you very much. Oh, Mommy, I know that. I know my Grandma loves me. And when we got to the hospital, we rode the elevator up. And I pointed to her door. Dylan burst into that room like a ray of sunshine. He pulled a chair up beside his grandma's bed and he planted a big kiss on her cheek. Grandma, I am so sorry that you're sick. But you're going to get better, Grandma. You will, and, and we're going to help you. And when you get better, Grandma, you're going to come to my house and we're going to make cookies. I was standing in the doorway, and I could see those tears flowing from her eyes. I knew she wondered if she'd ever get out of that bed, much less get on a plane and come to Florida. But I'm happy to report that she did get out of that bed, and after three months of grueling, painful, intensive rehabilitation. Grandma Florence was able to go back home to her little one-bedroom condominium. With help from my brothers and sisters and the grandkids, she got settled and lived as independently as she possibly could. Thanksgiving came, Christmas, New Year's, and that's when Mother announced... I think I'll go to Florida for a visit. Oh, we argued. We said, Mom, please, you're just getting settled. You're not very steady. You're not very strong. You don't need to be traveling. But when my mother gets an idea in her head, there's just no turning that woman around. So she got herself a ticket. She flew down with help from my sister from Milwaukee, to Jacksonville. And when she got off that plane, my husband and I and Dylan were waiting. We took Grandma Florence to our house and got her settled in the guest room. Dylan gave her all of about 24 hours before he sidled up next to her on the sofa. Grandma, aren't we going to make cookies? I saw her hesitation. She was weak, 
She was frail. Her hands still didn't work right. She wondered if she was up to the task, but she didn't want to disappoint. Sure, Dylan, we'll make cookies. And she hobbled into my kitchen on her walker. I watched as Dylan opened that drawer and took out those two aprons. He had just learned to tie his shoes, so he very proudly helped his grandma tie that apron around her waist. He slipped on that vest and snapped it down the front. Dylan went into the pantry for the flour and the sugar, into the refrigerator for the butter and the eggs. Dylan pulled out the mixer and the bowls and the measuring cups. And Dylan reached for a stick of butter. He peeled off the foil just a bit. Now, Grandma, the butter always goes first, right? And Grandma took that stick of butter in that crippled hand, and she pulled away the wrapper, plopped it in the bowl, while Dylan measured out a cup of sugar. Here, Grandma, add the sugar. And Grandma was so weak she trembled and the sugar spilled, but she got it in the bowl. And one by one, Dylan handed his Grandma each and every ingredient. And when the dough was done, he grabbed that magic wooden spoon. Here, Grandma, you stir the cookies. It took all the strength she had to stir that thick dough while Dylan got the two sets of teaspoons. By now, Dylan was a master, scoop and dip, scoop and dip, scoop and dip. Well, come on, Grandma. Fill up your cookie sheet. We'll bake our cookies together. And Grandma took those teaspoons in her crippled hands, and she did the best she could. Scoop and dip. And some of Grandma's cookies were huge. And some of Grandma's cookies were the size of grapes. And Grandma couldn't make a straight line on the cookie sheet. But Dylan didn't care. I told you, Grandma. I told you you'd get better. I knew you'd come to my house and we'd make cookies again. Now, Grandma, fill up your cookie sheet. Now fill up mine. We'll bake our cookies together. And they did. And when those cookies came out of my oven and cooled, well, I can tell you that to this very day, those are the best cookies I have ever tasted. Grandma's Cookies, a story about hardship and hope and family and, well, cookies. Maybe that brought back a memory for you. We hope so. And we hope you'll share it with the people that you love. You can share it with us, too. You can send us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. We're going to wrap up today with a story called We Meg Barnaleg. This is from Liz Weir, a storyteller from Ireland. 
And in this story, we'll hear about a stubborn girl who loves to get her way, and she won't let anyone tell her what to do. She's rude, she's annoying, and people begin to get sick of her. And it's not until she learns a lesson or two from some small folk that she begins to change and to recognize the folly of her ways. Here's Liz Weir with Wee Meg Barnaleg here on The Appleseed. Wee Meg Barnyleg Wee Meg Barnyleg was an only child. Now her parents thought she was the most wonderful girl, but to tell you the truth, she was spoilt rotten. She wouldn't eat a thing her mother made for her. I don't like that. I can't eat that, she'd say. And instead of telling her just to eat it up, her mother would coax her and plead with her or would make two or three different things just for Meg. When it came to clothes, she was every bit as bad. I can't wear that. I hate that. She'd change her clothes two or three times a day. Still, her parents thought she was the best child ever even if the neighbours knew different. Her parents would say she was a very observing sort of girl. What that really meant was that she was bold and outspoken. If she came to visit, she'd say things like, Oh, look, Mummy, they've still got the same old curtains they had here last year. Or, Look, Daddy, there's a big chip in this cup. People dreaded her visits. One of her worst faults was that she liked to tease animals. Now one harvest time, her parents took her to a farm. And while they were inside talking, Meg crept up on the old farm dog, who was lying chained up in the yard. She leapt forward and yanked his tail. But quick as a flash, he jumped up and nipped her in the leg. Well, you could have heard her scream at the other end of the country. Her parents came running. The farmer and his wife came running. The neighbours and friends came running. They all gathered around. Some people said the dog should be put down. Other people muttered they'd be better getting rid of that horrible child. When Meg heard this, she slipped away up to the hayfield where some men were working. Now they'd left their lunches in under the hedge to keep them cool. What do you think Meg did? She sneaked in under the hedge and started helping herself to the bread and cheese and the bits of cake. Anything she didn't like, she just tossed aside in the grass. After a while, she felt tired. She lay down and fell asleep. When she opened her eyes again, she was amazed to see it was night time. There was a big harvest moon shining in the sky. All of a sudden, she thought she heard whispering voices. (laughs) Some dancing we're going to have tonight. That Meg girl has ruined our dancing floor with all these bits of food. If I could only get my hands on her, I'd give her something to think about. Well, anyone else hearing people say that would have the wit to lie low. But not our Meg. Up she got as bold as brass with her hands on her hips. Well, here I am. What would you do? She blinked in amazement. For there in front of her was a ring of little people no taller than her knee. The fairy folk. When they saw Meg, they joined hands and started to circle round and round her chanting a rhyme. Ring, ring, fairy, ring, fairies dance and fairies sing. She'll move neither hand nor foot. And do you know, she couldn't. Meg wasn't able to move or talk 
and before her eyes the fairies pulled up a big tuft of grass and disappeared under the ground, trailing Meg after them. She found herself in a large underground chamber, filled from floor to ceiling with rotten food. There were pieces of stale bread, lumps of cold porridge, slimy bits of cabbage. Do you see that? said one of the wee men. That's all the good food you've wasted over the years. You'll not get a bite to eat or a sup to drink till you've got all of that swept up. Handing her a brush and shovel, he and the other wee men left her to it. What choice had she? Meg started to sweep the rubbish into piles and she shoveled it into a deep pit. By morning, the work was done. Can I go home now? she asked when they came to see how she had got on. No, you can't, they roared. There's plenty more to do. They gave her a slice of wheaten bread and a cup of buttermilk, and Meg was so glad to get it she thought it was the most wonderful food in the world. They took her into a second room, filled from floor to ceiling with old clothes, torn clothes, dirty clothes. Do you see that? asked one of the wee men. Those are all the clothes you have left lying behind you all those years for your poor mother to clean and mend. You'll not get another bite to eat, nor a sup to drink, until you've got all of those washed, mended and ironed. What choice had she? Meg started to work, and she worked on and on until she could hardly straighten her back. At last there were piles of clean, neatly pressed clothes beside her. Can I go home now? she begged. No, you can't. There's still more work to be done. After giving her some more bread and milk, they brought her into a third room, which was full of tall, spiky weeds. Here and there between the weeds, Meg could see a pretty pink flower, or a yellow flower, or a blue flower. Oh, that's terrible, she said. The pretty flowers will be choked by all those old weeds. Hmm, glad you noticed, said one of the wee folk. Those weeds are all the nasty, horrible things you've said over the years. And those pretty flowers are the few pleasant things you've ever had to say about anything. Don't you think it's time you set things right? This time Meg didn't need any coaxing. She started to weed and she worked until her hands were all blistered. And when she finished, the weeds had all gone. There now, she said at last. Don't the flowers look better? I'm sorry for saying all those nasty things. The next thing she knew, Meg found herself up above the ground. The harvest moon was shining and the fairies were dancing around in a ring. Now you'll remember that Meg was a very observing sort of girl. Well, she knew that if a human boy or girl was taken away by the fairies, the only sure way to get home again was to find a four-leaf clover and make a wish. As she danced around with the fairies, she kept her eyes peeled and sure enough, she spotted a four-leaf clover. Quick as a flash, she grabbed it and said, I wish I was back in my own bed. And the very next minute, she was. She opened her eyes, and there was her mother leaning over her. Oh, Mummy, I'm sorry I teased that dog. He wouldn't have bitten me if I hadn't. Glory be, said her mother. Our Meg's back to us again. It turned out that Meg had been lying there in her bed, not able to speak or move for a year and a day. She'd been away with the fairies all that time. From that day on, Meg was a changed girl. She ate whatever was put in front of her. She wore the clothes her mother left out for her. 
and until the day she died, she always had a good word for everybody. We Meg Barnaleg, a story told for you by Liz Weir. Liz Weir, who lives in Ireland and runs a hostel there called the Ballyamon Barn, where storytellers from all over the world gather. Stories from other countries and continents will come on storytelling pilgrimages to hang out with Liz and enjoy time at the Ballyamon Barn. It's been such a pleasure to bring these stories to you today. Stories from Liz Weir, of course, but also Kay Burns, a great conversation about Build Me Up Buttercup with Bill Harley. A mosquito story from Doug Elliott. Always a pleasure to hear from Doug. And we want to remind you that you can join us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. You'll find an archive there of all of the episodes of the show. Uh, You can subscribe to the podcast by Googling the Appleseed podcast, and then uh, you'll have something on your mobile device to take with you just about every day. I'm Sam Payne. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. It's such a pleasure to be with you, and I can't wait to be with you again on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.